The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five title defenses in MMA. Special guest, Zane Simon. We're going deep, ladies and gentlemen. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom analyst whose work you can find at mmajunkie.com in five days a week at mma junkie radio but on this year program the protect your neck podcast we usually break down high level mma but when we're not we're doing top five episodes and this episode is a is a fun one we did top five title changeovers recently with matthew wells well now I have Zane Simon, associate editor of Bloody Elbow, at the Zane Simon, to join me for top five title defenses. What's up, Zane? Hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I thought, you know, you, you, I know you asked me about topics the other day and what what we should do, and this just sprung to mind as something that I was really interested in because it's not something that I really, I, I've had, I, I've even had a lot of time to think about. You know, you lots of people. You talk about great title fights. You talk about just classic fights and stuff like that. But a lot of time, the way we talk about title fights, it's a little bit like, oh, you know, the champ, they get safe, they play it safe, and all that. A lot of title defenses are a little boring. They're not the best fights. So I wanted, to, I, I'm, I was glad that you gave me a chance to. Think of something, because the idea of best, what are the actual best title defenses, just kind of felt like something fun to think about. Yeah, 100%, man. I also felt it was kind of apropos to a lot of discussion, um, you know, in our current climate of the sport, you know, not too much of a current uh, events uh, show here, but, you know, with current events as they are, it's very apropos in the, the topic of title defenses, and not even just picking on one Conor McGregor, who who you know is still seemingly keeping himself in the headlines um, throughout this. But uh, you know, instead of focusing on the negative or worrying about the future, this is a good chance to reflect on on the past. You know, so absolutely, I was I really um, you know I get why a lot of the title defenses anymore have either even like exciting title defenses, even with like. Stipe and Ganu, which I'm really hyped for. Yeah. There's that little bit of sense of like, you know, Stipe holding out on his contract, not fighting for most of the year. And I'm like, yeah, I get that money. Also, like, man, I just want to watch you fight again. And I don't want to have to wait for another eight months after this. If you're like, oh, I'm going to renegotiate my contract again and get get a better deal after this next fight. And or, you know, you got Tyron Woodley out there, and I I got no problem with Woodley. But every time he gets a title challenger, it's always like six months of talking about how that's not the fight he wants. And then he fights the dude anyway, so all credit to him. But we've definitely got into a climate where title defenses have gotten to be just a little less fun. 
Yeah, and for for years, I feel like I've been kind of batting away the casual because uh, it comes up so often yeah. in comparisons to boxing. This sport's turning into boxing, or boxing will never. And any kind of argument like that, if you follow the sport, you kind of grow numb to that or apathetic to it at mm-hmm. least. But it actually is kind of settling in now when people say that, uh, whether they're talking about the pay-per-view model or a top-heavy structure of a card or what we're talking about here as far as the attitude and outcome of title defenses. So, Yep. It's just – it's the inevitability of, you know, of the Ronda Rousey-Conor McGregor effect when somebody could actually break the UFC's vice grip on talent control and then you got to pay one dude $100 million – or you know even twenty million dollars, and everybody else is looking at two hundred thousand to be champ and going, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. You know it, it's funny. Uh, I, I get along well with Zane on Twitter because of uh, mainly film selection, nothing to do with MMA. I appreciate <laughs> you know follow him on Twitter for that. Any that, any, any film listeners? <laughs> that's but, how I keep all my Twitter followers. I, the MMA is just like. My side piece for Twitter, I'm just there for film Twitter. That's what's up, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, judging by that or maybe the similarity, we both have uh, covered covered with pretty much a lot of ink, but I'll use that as a segue to punk rock and, and, and more, you know, hardcore type of music. And that's kind of what MMA at least is, you know, I'll let you sound off or say you're crazy, Dan, in a second here, but that's what kind of MMA is feeling uh, like to me, kind of rounding it back to this this style of episode here, and I feel like these kind of top five episodes allow us to get into this time machine and you know appreciate mm-hmm. me- Metallica before they went big, or you know, so to speak. Just just to throw a real. You know, broad... I, I've always hated Metallica, but me, yeah, me go too. For but it. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm, I, I'm a fan of, of of Cliff Burton as a bass player. He's one of my favorite bass players, the guy that died. But beyond that, um, it's really bad when you can spot a song by just by the Lars repetitive drum beat. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there's a tangent there. No, no, no. You're, you're on safe ground. With, you're on safe ground there for me with with Metallica. Not, not, to, not. To, I mean, I'm, I'm, I like metal. I'm a metal dude. I like Soil Work and Dillinger Escape Plan and Death and you know all sorts of stuff like that. But I, Metallica just never did it for me. But then again, like, oh, I was a fucking new metal fan in high school. So what the fuck did I? Know? I mean, that's probably the, that's probably. Seven tenths of why I'm here today UFC. is just because MMA was the new medal of sports, <laughs> and I was just primed to jump on board that bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, I think I tweeted out the. And it's it's bad. It's it's funny that you reference that because it has become a cliche of sorts. New medal in MMA. Like even my my girlfriend, who you look at her and you wouldn't think she's an MMA fan or have a, a knowledge of music. But I forget what promo it was in the last card, but it was for an upcoming fight. Not not the well-done Stipe one, but it was for something yeah. else or maybe a fight pass program they have coming. But they essentially just copy and pasted X new metal band over it. And I just hear – before I can process what I'm hearing, I hear my girlfriend go, oh, no. Who's handling the production, babe? <laughs> I'm like, that is bad. You're getting criticism yeah. from that part of the market. But anyways, we're digressing. Hey. But, 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 but again, uh, back, back on topic. Stay on target. Stay on target. Little Star Wars there. Back on target. These episodes kind of allow us just to at least pay homage to, you know, a greater time. To open up the vinyls as opposed to yep. downloading what's hot on our, on our on our latest stream. So so thanks for taking this uh, this journey with us. Um, I no guess problem. We, I guess we should start the fucking thing, shouldn't we, dude? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we, as you, listeners are familiar, we go from five to one counting down. At the end, we will go to listener suggestions with a break sometime in between. And, of course, we have our honorable mentions chambered for whatever isn't gotten to. Uh, 
Zane, this is your first time on the show, so I guess I'll do, I'll kick us off. We'll probably just switch off about midway in between, but but I'll get the ball rolling with number five. Sound good? Sure. All right. Some of them. There's a lot of different narratives here, you know. A, a lot of title defenses. There can be a dynamic of maybe maybe they came in and they weren't supposed to win, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those later. Um, sometimes the deficit though can happen within the fight, you know, where once that deficit happens early. All on-paper advantages, all betting odds are kind of thrown out the window, and that guy is forced to climb out of a hole. And I think we can all appreciate this one. And kind of to add, not to that dynamic for specifically the topic, but in general for these top fives, a lot of them, which is totally okay and encouraged, will end up on your list just because whether you were there in person or have a story that ties with it personally, it'll almost make your list for that reason where it wouldn't make another's. And that's, that's okay, too. And, and this one's a little bit of that. Uh, this is UFC 125. I was lucky enough to go there. Uh, I got tickets from my now co-workers, my now co-hosts. I was just a listener of MMA Junkie Radio. They called. They had an extra ticket. They said, hey, Dan, you want to come down to UFC 125? And uh, they invited me and another member of my gym who was on the fence about signing with Bellator or not. He wasn't sure. He wanted to get going. He was a 4-0 prospect. His name was Michael Chandler. So oh geez. So well, me, see, see, this is just like a whole name drop. I know this is terrible. I've got to try to keep up with all this shit. Like I, I don't have any of these stories about my gym and like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was just hanging with Steve Miocic the other day, and he was like, you want tickets to this to, to this rising event? I was no, no. I was one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I was just about to call myself out on that, and, and this is the only one I'm in list for what that's worth. Um, that has it, thankfully, for both our sakes. But but this was kind of just like a, a special night kind of coming together, right? And we're going there. We go UFC 125. It's a crazy card. There, there was a, I don't have it in front of me now, but I want to say, you know, you had uh, Brian, Brian Stan might have iced Chris Lieben on that night. Phil Baroni, Brad Tavares, I want to say, might have been on there. Might have had a, a Brandon Vera, Tiago Silva action. Anyways, we get to the main event, and it's a rematch. And, you know, Frankie Edgar just beat my guy, BJ Penn. But I've always been a Frankie Edgar fan, so I wasn't a hater by any means, but I, I was rooting for, for Gray Maynard heading into this one, Zane. And uh, as you know, it was, it was a crazy fight. Frankie Edgar does almost every iteration of being dropped. He gets dropped kind of dead, wakes up when he hits the floor. He does a knockdown where he does a back roll. He does a, a Star Fox barrel roll at one point off of a hook that he takes. Like He, he's, he crawls for the cage up for his life when you know Maynard's trying to take him down. Everything happens. Um, I'll, I'll let you join in on, uh, uh, and, and fill in the blanks here, but uh, we get to the end. You know, it's kind of a back and forth round. Gray obviously took the second round off. It goes back and forth. It comes down to the fifth round. Who got it? In the audience, where you know, there's all those moments in the audience, or even just amongst your friends, where you're like, you're arguing amongst the scores before it comes out. And this was probably one of the most intense times because there was ten eights being thrown around. There were ten sevens. Mm-hmm. Everybody was all over the place, and we could not wait. Um, into anticipation and for it to be a draw, we know the story, and it was just it was just a crazy night, man. Especially when I just kind of, you know you just kind of look back at it and uh, and yeah, a lot a lot of crazy crazy things. Do you, do you does this one make it your list or make any honorable mentions, Zane? Well, it, I mean, it 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 is definitely in my like top fifteen. It's way up there. It's a great fight. It is an all time epic war. But I also want, like I said, I kind of came into this wanting to make sure, A, that I didn't just copy you with all the best fights. Because uh, there, there are some narratives out there, there are some things like that that are easy to dive into and just be like, oh yeah, Jones, Gus, I, I'm, you know, right, they right. might be on your list or whatever. 
And I didn't want to just be the guy who was just like, yes, I agree with you on everything. So I actually, you know, Edgar Maynard 2 did not end up on my list. It is an amazing fight. It is a fantastic war. I, but I also feel like, is it technically a title defense if it's a draw? Like, he kept the belt. But right, right. It, and it's an amazing display of heart. It is an amazing display. It's just, you know, it's a battle that you'll always remember. But he also didn't, like, it's not really a, a title defense. It's kind no, of you're a, right, you're right. It's a maintenance. It's a title maintenance. And I'm glad. And I'm glad you brought that up. I think that was another reason, aside from the personal personal attachments I have, I, I thought it would make for a unique uh, and hopefully mm-hmm. spark a conversation because it was a draw, right? Where, where do we where do we leave that at? Because let's be honest, more often than not, draws leave a bad taste in our mouth, right? Yeah. But that. Well, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say because like I I was thinking about on my list initially looking at uh, GSP Hendricks, uh-huh. an amazing fight, right. and like. Condit Lawler is an amazing fight. Might even be on your list. I don't know. Or nope. uh, like uh, Shogun Machida one. Like all great fights. Right. All really controversial too. Right. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree. And I guess uh, aside from the personal attachment, a reason what I would say in answer to that would be. You know, not only is it impressive to come back from a deficit because that can be applied to any type of category and appreciation, mm-hmm. but. But when you attach that to the defense, and it's just like, wow, that is, a, that is a tooth and nail defense. I mean, you couldn't really request Edgar to have given any more, to have fought any harder, to make any kind of argument, because he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been standing. Even even the commentators are, are questioning it at a certain point. And, and technically, the title did stay with him, so you could play that. But to me, it's almost like... Uh, uh, again, forgive the nerd reference here, but like with the Lord of the Rings movie, where you know there's typical battle dynamic, where the the, the, the you know the the the, an, the the antagonist beats up the protagonist, and it looks like it's over, and then all every time they just look to the hills, and some Gandalf army is there to save them, and in this case, it was the judges' scorecards. You know, it just felt like one of those battles where like it just like like a movie. Like what what else does any guy have to give? But no, a uh, good point, and that, and that's why I wanted to get a kind of what? controversial one on there. And so now I'm going to break my order a little because right. I, I want to get, like, for narrative parody. And you you brought me into a point that's really about the list I made and how I tried to make my list, which is that I, I, you know, I started with, like, 22, 23, maybe even more title fights I wanted to look at, see which ones would narrow down to the absolute best title defenses. And I made a decision that what I really would wanted out of the best title defenses is a fight where the champion starts out losing badly, clearly, comes back, and finishes the fight. And it has to be all three of those. So for me, one of my top, then, you know, what, what I would then put to par- as parody for Edgar Maynard 2 would be Edgar Maynard 3. Where Frankie Edgar comes out, gets cracked right away again, he gets hurt again, he is down again and out of it again. And Gray Maynard, you know, he is just as hungry to, to finish. He looks just as good as he ever did. He's absolutely on point, beating Frankie Edgar up. And Frankie Edgar not only rallies, not only turns it around, not only starts hurting Maynard not only gets his own back but stops him but gets the gets the knockout yeah and 
you know, it's it's the whole story in a fight. There's no controversy. There's no question who won that fight, who the better man in the ring was. It's all entirely on Frankie Edgar's shoulders in that fight. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and uh, I did want to talk about that one with with this being 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 there. And and I agree. But you also, you know, what what made that so emphatic and so impressive? I don't know if it would be as impressive without the history of their second fight and even arguably their oh. first fight, which was an awesome fight too. So yeah. because like, that was the argument because the the two previous fights went to decision and almost, you know, the argument here goes round 11. And yep. so that build made what you were talking about, not only true, but, but even more emphatic. Yeah. And, and the end result is that it kind of broke gray Maynard. Yeah. I mean, that too. I mean, and, and, and that was, you know, you mentioned, which is not on my list by the way. So I, I'll, I'll bring it up for the example, but what it did to Gray Maynard in retrospect, which is another kind of real interesting kind of tail off from, from the selections off these lists, you know, that can put weight in your pick. Yeah. And you want to talk about a guy getting so close because, again, you can make the argument that Maynard took one, three, and five. And then, especially if you put the 10 7 in there, it's donezo, right? Um, yep. And he got so close, we saw what happened. Now, you mentioned Carlos Condit and Lawler. And, and now that narrative has kind of unfolded over the last two years post Maya and uh, Magni losses, right? Yeah, well, that Condit definitely walked away for a while. I, the thing with Maynard that really stuck with me is that even, like, a couple of years after the Frankie Edgar draw, like, even after the, the second loss, the emphatic loss, you'd hear him talk about in interviews, like, when prompted, how, like, he should, he should have been champ. Yeah. He should be champ right yeah. now. Like, oh, that should have been my belt. And it's just like, man, did that stick with him. That draw, it just that- ate at it. That's got to be worse than not getting there, right, Zane? I mean, how many yeah. fighters have to swallow whatever goal, whether it's a championship or whatever, that they didn't get to because that's just the reality of the game? But then how about being able to touch it? Like, you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that, so, so that was that your number five then, sir? Yeah, we're going to call that number five. I've, I've reshuffled my list, like I say, for narrative parody. Cool. Yeah, yeah. But then my number four on my list that I want to talk about and it doesn't have the huge it doesn't have quite the same feeling of huge stakes that a lot of these other title fights did but it has every ounce of the narrative the in-fight narrative I'm looking for cuz like I say the pre-fight the post-fight narrative you know if, if that's what you really want to go by then like you know um, uh Amanda Nunes versus Ronda Rousey or is a great title defense or yeah was that title fight? Yeah, it was title, a great title defense because, yeah. like, there's this, all this narrative built up to Ronda Rousey's return and, oh, can she compete in this fight? And then she gets shit-kicked and it's an awesome performance from Amanda Nunez. Like, really solid title defense right there. But the in-fight narrative is what I'm more interested in. Like, how does the fight unfold? How does it... Where does it go? How does it end? And you can't get... You know, without the prestige of a major, major belt, you can't get a better in-fight narrative than uh, George Santiago versus Misaki, too. Nice, nice. Kazuo Misaki, that fight, Sengoku, uh, Sengoku Raiden Championships, 14. And, you know, Misaki, he came out and he just put it on Santiago. He, they were slugging it out. He dropped him. He got on top of him. He was pounding away on him. And that's in, like, round two he's doing that. 
by round four, he's just about, he drops Santiago again, and it's, you know, one of those classic George Santiago yes, drops yes, that yes. he had throughout his whole career, where both legs go out, and he just, like, he hits the floor with both knees, and his head slumps for a minute, and then he pops back up, like a puppet somebody cut, and... Misaki jumps on him and he's holding him. He's like got the arm triangle he's going for. And you can see on Santiago's face, he's just totally fucking done. And then he comes out in round five and he pours it on him. And he still eats shots. He still gets hurt and he just keeps coming. And they they have to throw in the towel for Misaki's corner. And it is just, I mean... What better way to defend a title than that? Dude, if there was like a top five fifth round bursts, like of course Robbie Lawler is yeah. going to be in there. But how do you not put Santiago in there? And I like that, I like that you put this on your list for one because it's on my honorable mention. It didn't make my list, but it, but it is an honorable mention. So I remember waking up late and missing this fight and really upset. And I, I tuned on Junkie and I saw the result. I was like, ah. But I felt like I had to make up for it. And it was really easy to, to watch it three times in a row that day. Yeah. Um, after, and it was, and again, and again another point that I'd like that you, you mentioned, because here's a question I want to ask you, is that, you know, Santiago, it's true, if you follow his career, like, it, it wasn't so crazy that he was getting dropped, I think a lot of people remember toward his end of his UFC run, but it wasn't that crazy that he would get dropped and recover, but let me ask you, and again, uh, post-fight narrative is a secondary, especially for this fight, but do you feel like that, that was, he just left part of himself on the mat, he never got back after that one? There's definitely that, and but I also think it's just that he, he, I mean, you know, he's like the king of the quadruple A fighters, right? As I like to call it, where it's, <laughs> okay. you know, it's a dude who is just fantastic at the regional level of MMA. Just, you put him on a media, like, you know, you put him in Sengoku, you put him in uh, any other, cha- any other regional, cha- uh, fights out there and he just kills it he is better prepared he is more well-rounded he's got all the heart and guts you could want just not quite a good enough athlete that when the other dudes in front of him were as good athletes or better athletes that his style would hold up entirely and i think a lot of what happened to him in the ufc Part of it may have been, yeah, taking the massive amounts of damage that he did with the, the fight, he's, the style he had. But he had UFC runs before that, and they ended the same way, too. And it was just dudes who could really hang with him athletically and pack the punch could always... It, it wasn't just finding his chin. It would it, They'd break it. You know, he got knocked out by Chris Lieben. He got knocked out by Alan Belcher. And then he goes on this huge run that ends with that Misaki fight. Gets knocked out by Kaladov, has a couple more Sengoku fights, gets back to the UFC, and immediately gets knocked out by Brian Stan again. And it's just the problem. I don't know that it would be necessarily the damage he took. It's just the style he had and the ability he had physically to keep up with that style. They were two different things. They're two totally separate ideas. That's a good way to explain it. And, uh... You know what? Let's let's stay in Japan. We're in Japan right now for this one, Zane. Let's stay in Japan, but we'll just rewind it maybe four or five years back. Um, we're going to go to August twenty eighth, two thousand five. This is a, a the, probably the most anti personal one on there because I was aware of who these guys were. Honestly, more of more of Crow Cop than Fedor. That's where I'm mm-hmm. going here. 
Um, because my friend who got me into my bass player, my band who got me into MMA, uh, you know, he was a Crow Cop Mark and a St. Pierre guy. So I would know who these guys kind of were, and, and I, would, I would drop in occasionally for cards. But I didn't, as a fan, I didn't start knowing guys and investing until 2006, okay? So kind of where my fandom is. So this isn't a very personal pick. I can't say where I was and da-da-da-da. But I think you need a lot of that to appreciate this one. Like, I think if you went back, the average fan, to watch Fedor vs. Krokop, I don't think they'd be very impressed. Um, you know, in certain senses, at least today's yeah. MMA fan. But it, maybe it's because of Edson Khabib just happened. But this mm-hmm. is a very similar dynamic that we're reminded of still to this day. And this was an earlier version. And it's very appreciable because not only if you know the history of Krokop, this killer coming from K1 who was kind of, you know, he had his slips when he initially came in at first. He actually went on another better run after this. But he was this killer, right, just, just icing people with left kicks and crosses. And Fedor was the, you know, Russian Sambo guy. Uh, came mm-hmm. in, dethroned Noguera, and uh, you can look, and, and, and even though it was a decision, and there was a lot of parts that were very slow, like uh, that 10-minute round sounds awesome, but it can really affect and drag out a pace of a fight. We saw that in Pride. But it was very different. I mean, it was, it was, it, we saw both guys forced to fight top level, and that was kind of the criticism, can cop, or Fedor fought cans, but this was a time in both guys' career, even the critics got to give them respect. And it reflected oh, yeah. because you look at it, it was just finishes leading up to this point in their career. Just finishes, finishes, finishes. Yeah, big names. Yeah, Fedor was fighting heavier guys, sure. Um, but this was a, a legit challenge. And, uh, you know, he, he, you know, Krokop beats uh, his brother Alexander Emelianenko, calls him out after. And even though these guys respected each other, there was a lot of awesome fan-made promos for anybody who was around at that time that were being circulated. And it was a big fight. Uh, and, and we essentially just saw the dynamic of pressure not giving the striker space, eventually wearing him out. And, um, and it went to a decision and, and, and uh, Fedor won. Is this... My off base for having this on my list. Come, 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 no, come no, correct, see, So far, your list is the secondary list I put together in case <laughs> you went for my initial list and I ended up with too much of the same stuff on it. Because I started with Edgar Maynard too, and then I have Fedor Krokop. So I, you're not off base at all. I mean, I think it's especially like the thing with Krokop that I, I think, and you, you kind of you noted this a little, and the bears understanding is that. Much like who Vondelay was at his pride time, like that was a much different fighter technically than the dude who ended up in the UFC. And just like what he had to offer as a complete MMA game was much more appreciable and much more technical. And the biggest thing being, especially for for Krokop, he is nobody exemplifies the switch from pride the death of pride and the switch to the ufc better than him because his game was just his mma game is one of the most ring built mma games that you will ever see like didn't want to grapple as little as possible it was all just about turning people into corners sitting him in the corner and then setting them up with a look where the left hook would look exactly the same as the left high kick and you had to gamble on which one was coming and he would trap you into that side with right hands and right kicks and things like that and it all only worked in a corner and he comes to the UFC and he's got a big ass cage to fight in where people can just work and circle as much as they want and it never it never worked again yeah, no, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great point. It was, it was, it the ring was a huge part of his game, 
Um, and, and really, it's kind of you're kind of hard pressed uh, to even argue that you know you use the word you know uh, best example, and you really really it is. I mean, because I'm trying to think now to think of a better example, and especially that era where that's where you're obviously seeing the main jumps from, you know, from from cage to from uh, from ring to cage. I mean, I remember even you know. Uh, you know, my lone amateur fight, I remember it was for Tough Enough, and we just switched over to cages, and we were so stoked because for the longest time, it was rings. When Rousey came through and Joe Band, it, yeah. was, all, it was all rings. And I believe we had the second show where it was a cage, and of course, we're just dumb kids, like, yeah, we're for UFC, yeah. bro. You know, like, of course, we're, we're jacked about it, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was it was, a, it, it was huge for strategy, depending on what was going to happen. And, and Extreme Couture eventually got rid of their ring, but we had a, a boxing ring specifically for that just depending on where the guys were going to go fight yeah and like and because of that and because of the fighter crow cop was at the time i mean it is it, it it's fedor's great title defense you know there's the the big nog fight alongside yes. it yes. also a great fight but that crow cop fight is really just an amazing match and it's it's amazing because it's not just all Fedor success. Like, I, I, you know, I think you made the comparison to, like, Habib um, Barboza, and there's definitely some of that, but I also think that Crow Cop, maybe, you know, maybe because of other, maybe for other reasons, <laughs> was much better able to carry energy and durability through the fight, like, when he got his chances. Yeah. Whereas it just sort of felt like this cold inevitability in the Khabib fight. Yeah. yeah. No, very and true, very true. It's So it, it really is this very... And, and it's also just the atmosphere of pride that really gave what could even be slow fights at times that feeling like anything could happen at any time. Yeah, 100%. And again, nodding to the, the, the finishers and their record that was kind of leading up to this. And, and we see it all the time. Even the guy... You, you might have a, the public might have a, a, a sunken opinion on can change if that guy gets say two or three knockout wins in a row. All of a sudden, he's a betting favorite over a guy he shouldn't be. I mean, yep. so there was there was that anticipation leading in. But uh, all right, uh, let's go. Let's go number three. Do you want to lead off number three, Zane? Do you have one chamber? Yeah, and I'm gonna shuffle again because okay. I the, like I say I'm I, I'm keeping this thematically solid and I'm gonna stick with pride and. Uh, I got to go with uh, Rampage Jackson versus Vondelay Silva. Nice. Vondelay Silva's title defense. Their second fight, I believe. And Pride 28, October 31st, 2004, sir. Go ahead. Yes. And it was one of, it's always been one of my favorite fights just because it was from an era when Vondelay was one of my favorite fighters. And the, that's like the Vondelay I still want to remember, and not the <laughs> career Vondelay who's just kind of you know we all not, nobody really is like pumped for late career Vondelay at this point. But uh, it you know it's Vondelay the human violence machine, and he comes out there for an era when Rampage is still Slam Page. This is before he grew the afro and tried to get all Christian for like ten minutes. Yes. That was like the death yes. of the. That was the death of Slam Page. Oh, so good, yes. After that, he just became the boxer guy who just was going to, like, duke it out. He always talked about how he was going to start slamming people again, but it never happened. Top five MMA snapshots, Slam Page. Yeah. But this is Rampage, core in that era, and Vondelay, who, you know, 
people want to talk about how he just had this like wild hook swinging game, but it was a lot smarter than that. He had a really good knack for throwing high kicks to keep people to keep their people's guards up so that he could work around the guard for finding the clinch and finding knees in the clinch for being able to get leverage to trade harder knees. Maybe some of that's due to the fact that he was just jacked as shit. <laughs> absolutely just manhandle even somebody like rampage in the clinch but it he you know you're in that fight and for like five minutes it's just not that good a fight he you know there's like a low blow rampage get an eye poke and rampage gets cut and it's kind of like is this really that great and then late in the round you know suddenly rampage starts taking vondelay down after he eats a few knees late in round one drops him and he's on top, and he's beating him up, and he's dropping these huge elbows, landing shots. Vondelay is hurt. He he looks like you know it looks like Rampage is going to come out and take over because you know it's not like Rampage doesn't hit hard. It's not like he doesn't know how to control people. All that stuff. Round two comes. Vondelay comes out swinging. He's just chucking bombs. Looks like he's a house on fire. Rampage takes him down again. And you're just like, oh, here it starts again. He's just going to start beating him up. And Vondelay rolled for a terrible armbar. Not a good one at all. But it freaked the fuck out of Rampage. And maybe, too, like, credit to Vondelay. I don't know if he forgot a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu along the way. But he was really good in that fight at actually sinking in triangles, which is probably why Rampage freaked out about the armbar. Because Rondelay throws up a little bit of an armbar. Rampage freaks out, loses top control, ends up on his back. Rondelay gives him space, gets up, and it leads to one of the great all-time title fight knockouts in history. Like, there is no... Can you think of a better singular knockout than Rampage, like, body through the ropes, hanging on the back of that knee, from that knee, and, like, just that, like I say, that whole pitched narrative of, you know, Vondelay getting dropped, looking like he's going to get beat up again in round two, and then turn it around for that killer KO. Like, it's just, it's an amazing title fight narrative. It was one of, I was watching it again. I'm sitting at home, and I've got it kind of playing, and I'm doing other stuff. And I'm like, hey, maybe, I don't know, this fight's not that fun, whatever. And then he gets dropped, I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot. He gets hurt. And then he comes back, and it's just like, oh, my God. I'm, I am enamored by everything about this fight. And it, that's, that's always what I want out of a great title fight, is... You want to see that champion look, who looks like they are on their, about to lose and then wins in the most emphatic way possible. A hundred percent, man. That is, that's a great pick. It's on my honorable mentions list. Didn't, didn't make the list, but well-deserving to be on any list, obviously. And it's crazy because you, you, you mentioned you always forget these things when you go and revisit. And I, I feel the same way. Like I completely forgot about that. And I, I did the same thing. It was coming back to me visually. Um, as you're as you're saying this, because I, I haven't gone back to watch it in a minute. Maybe that's why I didn't, it didn't make my list. But um, but yeah, that 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 whole sequence where Vanderlei kind of goes for the armbar, and you see you see you know, Quentin, especially for a certain period of his time, he had this like insta trigger, 
where guys would mm-hmm. throw a submission, he would pop up. But this time, he kind of inexplicably loses his balance, ends up on bottom. And when I was going back to watch a lot of these pride fights, something I've noticed recently, and, and again, our, our eyes grow as the years go on, so now we'll, we'll view fights differently um, than before. And it feels like there are so many of those inexplicable scrambles in pride. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's way more of those, even amongst top top caliber dudes. Yeah, there definitely. There's a lot of. There, there was. A, I think it was an era where there's a lot of legendary guard games and like legendary <laughs> yes. grappling status. Yes. <laughs> where guys would like they would feel a submission attempt coming, or they would see somebody playing a guard game, or they'd see somebody like going for something like that. And they would just panic, and they'd be like, "I can't hang." I, I, you know, Rampage may be like, "Oh, Vanderlei's Brazilian," and he know they're talking about he's got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, which I think he probably does. One of those like, you know, Vitor's got a black belt too, and we've seen all of that. Yeah, for- <laughs> yeah. And also goes back. It also goes back to your cage versus ring thing, where yeah. without the cage press dynamic, and you're you're you're, de- you're dealing with a much smaller uh, target of ring corner now pressing, yeah. you were those little scrambles, as weird as some of them were, became much more emphatic by nature, yeah. and, and therefore and stuck in our heads more with these fights because they became a part of the narrative. So it could be that. And, too. and I also think too, just because of the ring, it it changes the scramble dynamic in that. There's a feeling like you're going to lose whatever – like the position you have, whether it's on top or on the bottom, can be lost because there are – there's a definite edge to how far you can go. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just push somebody into a wall <laughs> yeah. and keep them in the wall and just pin them there the way you can in the in, in a cage, which I, I know people can wall walk and are, have gotten much better at that over time. But for a long time, that was the dynamic. Right. And I think in the in the ring because they re, they'll reset and they'll do other things that will mess up the dynamic of a good ground position. You get a lot more of this like, do I re- like do I really feel like I can safely stay in this top position if this guy starts scrambling or going for something, or are we just going to end up tangled in the ropes where I don't want to be or give it up and have to go back and get reset in a way that gives them an advantage? So I, I think there's definitely a, a few dynamics at play. Yeah. As to why you get slightly weirder scrambles like that. Well, let's keep the uh, pressed into the corner of the cage dynamic for a certain era in mind because that segues nicely to my number three. Uh, my number three happened about five years before uh, your number three. It was 1999, September 24th, UFC 22. That's right, Frank Shamrock. He defended his middleweight title. This is when the UFC was doing middleweight, you know, per the 198 uh, pounds area where. Frank Shamrock essentially had to eat and, you know, walk onto the scale fully clothed to fight Tito Ortiz, who was jacked. Yeah. You know, probably came into the ring like a monster, about 217 pounds, so so he said, on fight night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for people that don't know, uh, Frank Shamrock was a real experienced guy. He fought over in Pancrase, fought, though he lost guys like Bat- Boss Rutten, fought, a, a, submitted an early Jeremy, a young Jeremy Horn. Um, you know, and he was like one of those first guys that could could really do it all and the term athletic is often a, a used and abused with frank shamrock but it's a, it, it's appropriate um it's, you know? a, it's just especially appropriate in an era where there were more bodybuilders than there were athletes in mma uh yeah yeah absolutely man i mean and, and don't get me wrong frank shamrock was a chiseled good looking dude himself uh make yeah. no mistake about it but any of those muscles for cardio arguments that Rogan loves to loves to trump, um, you could kind of throw that out the window with Frank because 
cardio was his weapon. And it's funny, when you talk about cardio being your weapon, most, I don't know, casuals, even non-casual, era before today's casual fans will still point to Tito Ortiz as that godfather of attrition and conditioning, right, to win fights. But no, no, Tito Ortiz learned the hard way in this fight. Uh, So any listeners not familiar with this one, it's definitely worth going back and watching because even though I said some people might be kind of disappointed for certain reasons if they went back to watch Fedor and Crow Cop, which was six years after this, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised in seeing the technique it displays, particularly from Frank, when you go back and watch this. I mean, he had a young Javier Mendez in his corner, a crazy Bob Cook, who I believe UFC 20 or 24, he recently, you know, he he fought his his, his first UFC and last mm-hmm. UFC fight. But those guys were really ahead in the game. I don't know if it was the Ralph Gracie, uh, Dave Camarillo, NorCal Collective, but their jiu-jitsu was ahead of the game where you would see um, all those guys, but... Apropos to this matchup, Frank go for things like a triangle, and when the triangle misses, he rolls to a knee bar, and that creates space yep. for him to stand. I mean, that's something that you know, it, you know, it's under it's underrated today. You know, uh, I want to say uh, Luke talks about it in regards to you know Hendricks versus Matt Brown, which is a great example he brings up, and and there's plenty of those things. But you know, these guys were doing it way before then. Um, and and yeah. chain, chaining their submissions, and that's super impressive. No one was really doing that. Even the quote unquote, you know, jujitsu masters. This was a time, like Zane said, where a black belt in jujitsu and a and having a great guard was was still in the woo woo terms. It wasn't quietly hammered out and proven yet. So, yeah, and this this is on my uh, th- this is my honorary one of my honorary mentions because it fits exactly the narrative I was I've been looking for in these title fights of. You know, Frank Shamrock, he comes out, he's the multi-time defending champion. And this one, I mean, it's a great fight in that way, too, because there's tons of interpersonal narrative that came before and after it of Tito Ortiz against the Lions then and all that. But, uh, you know, Shamrock comes out, he's the multi-time defending champ. Tito Ortiz is the new kid on the block that seems like he's going to take over in the UFC. And he looks exactly like that for two-thirds of that fight he just comes out he takes shamrock down over and over he's working him he's land he's landing ground and pound he's holding him down he's hitting all the takedowns and all that and you know there are arguments of like oh shamrock landed the harder shots in this round or that round or oh he threw up better submission attempts and things like that so depending like the judging could be anywhere for a fight like that depending on what you want to give value to but it's really easy to see Frank Shamrock as likely losing that fight right up until the final round when he starts to t- he starts stuffing Ortiz's takedowns finally mm-hmm. and starts pouring offense on him and doesn't knock him out, doesn't even TKO him, but makes him tap to strikes. Yep. Like, yeah. that is just a beautiful thing. For, it's like, nothing solidifies... Frank Shamrock as better than Tito Ortiz in that moment than making the dude tap to strikes. Uh, yeah, man. And I remember it just sticking with me because this was one of the first times where I kind of saw that because just yeah. like when I uh, got into basketball uh, and invested in that as a kid, I immediately had to go see things before my time. I'm, I'm, I've always loved history, so that's kind of how I'm wired. So I would go watch the classic Boston versus Celtic series and whatnot. So I did the same thing for MMA Zane, and when when I first started making that dive in 2006, where I'm starting to invest, this was one of the first fights I remember kind of going back in time when I'm trying to establish and put the puzzle pieces of the sport that I'm watching together. 
And, you know, he just looked like even more of a giant in my mind back then when I first watched it at the size difference, which A, is impressive, and B, the dynamic, which I love personally, and it's very appropriate for this list. It's it's, it's your main factor, and I I don't disagree, where, you know, not just momentum swings, but also what I love is pressure. Pressure, and whether the guy, it's a wrestling, a striking edge, or what athletic edge, a youth edge, whatever, pressure is like water in MMA. It eventually breaks all those attributes down if you can... So, you know, be durable enough to keep applying set pressure. And it's one of my favorite dynamics to see play out. And I think it's going to be in our, the reason why it's in both of our lists is because really in MMA, especially even in modern day MMA, three, five minute rounds is not a lot of time for those dynamics to play out. Yeah. So when you have these fighters, whether they're some of the greats or I'll just throw a guy out who's definitely not going to be on our list, but just like a Brian Barbarina type of dude, you put those mm-hmm. guys in a five round fight and they go from, you know, Joe Blow dad bod to, you know, the scariest guy come round four and five because he's still he's still there. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's, that's, that's the real beauty of these matchups. And, yeah, you, you see that dynamic play out, you know, with, with, with this matchup there. And and it was just it was beautiful. It was beautiful, especially, you know, knowing Tito Ortiz and what he went on to do after that. Even more impressive. And then, yes, post history being secondary. But you look at it and I believe that was the last middleweight title of that era. And Frank Shamrock, mm-hmm. you look at his record, he never went back to the UFC. He had his differences, yada, yep. yada, and only had, I think, like six or seven fights for the rest of his career. Um, so yeah, that, was a, that was a high watermark for sure of his career. So, yeah. Um, and you already gave your number three, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe I did. Okay. So. Well, on that beat, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to knock out our top two title defenses and get to your list to close out the show right here on the Protecting Mech Podcast. Cucarachas enojadas Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five title defenses in MMA with special guest Zane Simon. Zane, uh, do you want to start off with the number two or do you want me to kick it off? I'll let you pick. I'll start off with number two. And this this fight didn't start off as my number two. It has been bumped to net, number two narratively because I wanted to be – I wanted to keep it in line. So I don't – you know – Take that for what it will, but it's still an amazing fight. It just, it's its own special amazing fight. And that is Nick Diaz versus Paul Daly. Yes. Good, nice. And for a fight that only lasted a round, that, I almost didn't conclude it. Because I thought, you know, like Nick Diaz got hurt early. Then he rallies back for the win. And that's just what you remember. He's like, oh, yeah. No, he got hurt. And then he comes back. It's pretty cool. Great fight. Then you actually go watch it again. And he gets dropped again hard, like, 30 seconds before the round ends. And rallies back to win from that. Like, he is almost out twice in that in that one round before rallying back to win it in the round. And it's Nick Diaz at the top of his game. It's like the best <laughs> era of Nick Diaz. And 
the best thing I think about it, if you're really talking from like a post-fight narrative standpoint, both guys have gone on to do arguably even bigger things, frankly. I mean, Paul Daly, you know, he had his shot in the UFC. He's been in Bellator now. You can say that fighting for a strike force title was a big deal, but it's not like being the title challenger in a strike force title fight is not necessarily the hugest honor in the world. It's cool, but he uh, and Nick Diaz, you know, has obviously gone to fight huge fights in the UFC, fought George St. Pierre, fought Anderson Silva, has gotten paid way more money than he ever did as a strike force champion. And at the same time, that may be, it is pretty much almost certainly the best fight in either man's career. Because yeah. it's one of the best all-time, I'm like, you can, you can say that because it's it's one of the best all-time MMA fights. It's, it's just an amazing one-round fight. Yeah. And I don't think either guy gives a shit about it. Honestly. At all. Like, that's the amazing thing. I, I remember I asked Paul Daly once. I talked to him. I was like, so, you know, what do you, you know, you think about it, you think like, what do you, what is your fight you love the most or anything like that? And he, I can't even remember what he said now. Is you know, some, something or other. Or he said, he's like, I don't really think about my fights that way. And, you know, I don't think of like, I, I don't really reminisce. I think that's what it was. It's like, I don't really look at my career and like, oh, I, I love that fight more than that. And I was like, not even like Diaz Daly. He's like, I lost that fight. <laughs> he's like, I lost that fight. Why would I? Why would I love that fight? I lost. That's not a good thing. For right. Me. Right. And you so, know, Nick Diaz doesn't give a shit. Benjamin, over here. Sorry about that. It's my dog. You know the struggles, Zane, too. You're, yes, I do. You are a pet owner. All right, doors closed. That should solve that. Benjamin, one second. Ben, get in here. Get in here, sneaky. Get in here. He's a sneaky one. Sorry to, for the interruption. No, 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 no. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you you had this. This is right on my. This is probably the closest one that almost made it on my list. Probably for the same reason you were struggling that you said, I'm not sure if I should put this one on my list because of the round one thing. And yeah, it, it's just not that long. And and it, and it made it on my list because it's such a amazing round of momentum swings at such a high, you know, at a high level in a big title fight with a lot on the line, with narrative, with feeling and all the emotion that goes with it. But it's just not that long a fight. And even for me, it would have been like number four had I just kept it the way that I'd meant to. And, uh, you know, I was thinking like maybe Edgar Edgar Maynard number two or maybe Silver Rampage number two. But this ended up getting bumped to number two. I'll stick by it. But it really is a fantastic, all-time great title defense for Nick Diaz. It is. It's, it's my favorite one of his. When I'm looking through his, you know, his uh, his resume there, and um, and and yeah, man. Uh, it, it, again, it, even though I think part of me too kind of steered away because I'll, I'll overcorrect. I was talking about a lot. I always overcorrect on fighters I really like, whether <laughs> I'm picking the fight or breaking it down, or even on a list like this, right? And I'm like, am I just yep. am I just trying to get Nick Diaz on this list here? Like, yeah. you know, there wasn't there was like you said, like you asked both the guys. There wasn't really aside from the, the trash talk, you know, fight week. There really wasn't much before or after that ever happened from it to them personally. But no, it, not you know, you know, Nick Diaz doesn't care about that fight. He doesn't even like fighting. He right. doesn't even like his fights. <laughs> but, but let me jump on with the praise on this, and the reason why it is worthy, and and 
and you know I have no issue with it being on your list or even as high as number two. It's got one of my favorite moments in MMA, and uh, you, you kind of mentioned it. Not only does he get dropped and dropped twice and dropped more viciously than most people remember, because it's one of those arguments where, did he go out for a second? Did the mat wake him up? Like, what happened? <laughs> but my favorite is what happens after that, and when before Diaz all of a sudden turns into, oh, I'm up, I'm awake, I'm here, I'm ready to go, he comes up from that second knockdown like, uh, you know those, uh, what is it, the Indiana Jones, they open the, the basket and the snake slowly yeah, yeah, yeah. and starts like slowly kind of doing a dance left to right. Like Nick Diaz almost does that left to right while dodging follow-up punches from Daly that are just yep. have mean intentions all over him. And after he dodges those things as he literally snakes his way up, like watch it, he looks like a fucking snake. Yeah. All of a sudden he keeps that shoulder momentum kind of like Nate Diaz when Nate Diaz was in that strong lightweight run where he was just going left to right and just feeling and rhythm on guys from Gomi to to uh, Cerrone, and he starts getting in that mode, and and it and takes it to the very what is it, the last second of the round, Zane? Where I McCarthy think it's four fifty seven, I think. Jesus Christ, yeah. I mean, what a fucking top five rounds of the year, top five opening round, top. Uh, you could put this in. You could put this in a lot of lists for it being a one round fight, yeah. which says a lot. Yeah. So it, you know, I it, it climbed for me because, like I said, I wanted the parody thing. I wanted us to. I wanted to keep going with the momentum you were creating, but it ends up top two. That's fine. All right, dude. Well, I got a pretty typical pick here. Uh, this, is, this we get probably my most most typical one, one that uh, I got imagine would be on anybody's list, but uh, maybe because it, it happened on my birthday, Zane, August seventh, two thousand ten. Wow. But I'd be remiss not to have Silver vs. Sun in one on my list. Um, you want to talk about working from a deficit, the in-fight dynamic of momentum swings, and just the build-up. This was the one. I mean, this was a time where they were, they were really trying to fork Anderson Silva opponents, and it was also on the heels of a couple questionable performances. You had the anticlimactic, yeah. starting with the anticlimactic fight with Cote that ends on the knee injury in 90. Then you have the, the fight against Leitez later on. Um, Which is a great fight. It got shit. If you yeah. go back and watch Silva Leitas again, it is an amazingly good fight. It's just, it's not the fight people expected. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I was, <laughs> I have a funny story about that fight. I was actually doing my, 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 my one of my Euro, my, my only uh, Euro vacation thing. I, like, I took like a month and a half and I just went and got lost for a minute. And, uh, but I was still like a hardcore UFC fan at the time. So I was like, okay, I have to be able to watch this fight somehow. And I just remember being just being up at like I think it was like two thirty a.m. or some weird time at some hostel in Spain, like trying to watch this fight. And they were just looking at me like I was some crackhead. Like, what is this guy doing up at this time? And I'm all into this fight. Um, and it went all five rounds. You know, went all five rounds. He has that kind of run. Damian Maya, right? The UFC one twelve, that yeah. odd performance. So uh, you know, they were trying to fork essentially. There, 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 there's the track I was back on. See, I, I find my, I find my way back. But uh, they were almost trying to oversell, and luckily they had a, a contender who was more than willing to oversell himself. Oh and, yeah. And everybody remembers Sonan maybe from after this point, but he was so. It, not only is it beautiful to watch his lead up in this fight, where I first came across Sonan was actually in the WEC. It was, it was his fight with Brian Baker. And in the post-fight, uh, I don't even think it was Mir. Uh, it was one of the other guys doing the post-fight, and he gives him a compliment. And first it was just Chael's candor that stuck out. He goes, he stops and acknowledges the compliment that was given. He goes, I want to thank you for that. But then he turns around, and so he has the character side, but then he shows the kind of the badass side where it wasn't like he was turning it up to 10, but he said it with a genuineness where he goes, unlike people in the UFC, I will fight any man that God created. (laughs) And I'm not like a, a, a Jesus or God guy, but I was just like sold. I was like, 
Who, wow. And it, was, it wasn't the most exciting win. It was a decision win over Brian Baker, okay? But yeah. it was that post-fight that sold me. And we really didn't see that chael. He stumbled against Maya. We really didn't see that chael until this fight. And, and that, that classic line where he goes, I acknowledge he's a great fighter. I acknowledge he's good. But I am the best. And even mm-hmm. if you thought it was a joke, like I appreciated the fuck of that mindset. And not only that... Now all the talk is done. He's in the ring the first round, and he drops Anderson Silva, stuns him twice, uh, yep. drops him once, I think, credited, but he kind of goes stumbling on both, let's be honest, kind of loses his legs for a second, and just starts putting it on it. We all know the story. Four rounds, gets the triangle at the end, and, um, you know, uh, Silva's rib injury to Chael's post-fight PEDs, which, you know, if you want to be extra speculative and take away from this, you could just say they were on an even playing field for that fight. But yeah, uh, regardless. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. The, the UFC had drug testing for years. It was, an, it, was an, it was an idiot test. Anybody who failed that just proved that they were the one dude in the gym who couldn't manage a cycle. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, but yeah, man, this one, I'd be remiss. So it earned a, it earned a number two spot on there for me, man. This one on no, your radar. I mean, it takes my top spot because of all those reasons. Like when I'm making a list of champions who got beat up and then rallied back to stop their opponent, like that is an entire list that is dedicated basically only to me getting to Sonnen versus Silva. And I remember watching this fight at home. I was working a dead end job in Michigan at the time. I was sitting and watching on the couch, and I was just depressed as fuck for <laughs> every moment of it. I it's Chael Sona, like yeah, I and I've talked to him, and I like you know he's an, he's a really personable person. He's a really easy person to like when you talk to him. I fucking just was like this douchebag. I can't, you know, it, it, it's the year of Conor McGregor fighting jo- or talking trash to Jose Aldo and just yeah. saying all sorts of shit and tearing him down over and over again. And you're just like, this asshole can't be champion. And then in Conor's case, he knocks Jose Aldo out in five seconds. And you're like, well, fuck, I got to <laughs> listen to everybody else for the next 20 years talk about, you know, just use Connor's, like, their trash-talking crutch. Yes. But Chael Thonen, man, did he build that wall perfectly. You just, you could not stand to see him win that fight if you were me. And he goes out there and he drops Silva. He hurts him. And he's, Silva's obviously hurt. It's just, and like, you know, you could even say that, some like Silva's performance. Connor uh, Rebush, my co-host for the Viva section, has made this argument that like Silva's like Maya performances maybe were like the point where he was starting to lose a step already, and this is a clear sign that Silva, like even though he performed really well after this and he kept his title for quite a while longer, that you know he'd been around for twelve years already. He's starting to lose a little bit of steam, and it looked like it in this fight. I mean, you go back and you watch it, and he's just getting rocked, and he's getting taken down, and he's getting pounded on and beat up. And I was sitting there, like, round three, and I'm just like, oh, God, I can't. No, I can't watch this. And he hits that triangle, and I was just screaming. It's just like, what the fuck? 
just happened. Oh my god, this is the the greatest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, I mean, God love him, he's always going to be second place Chael, from, or second place Sonnen from, from then on. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's so ironic too, was it was as amazing as it was when you go back and rewatch it, you're also reminded that there was like a brief six to ten seconds of... Oh, that was beautiful, and it all just got fucked up at the same time because it looked like a Brazilian tap set, uh, type of yeah. type of deal where you could tell that you know Chael's in the triangle and he goes to what he tries to do, he tries to step over, except he gets debased and kind of falls backward to where it makes the transition from a triangle to an armbar much easier. Except Anderson doesn't have a, a great grip to the point where he's doing one of those lash ditch efforts where he doesn't yeah. have the two on one hand grip with the you know yeah. the, the, the thumb hitchhikered up. He's actually just taking one hand and pushing it to the yep. to the friction point of a breaking elbow. Like he's, it's one of those last ditch. And Chael, like if you look in the replay, you can't really see, and his eyes are closed. He's crunched in, and he kind of just does a tap. And I think he realizes yep. that he does, that Anderson does actually doesn't have the leverage to actually finish it. And continues to try to fight, but then the refs already stepped in, and he fights it, and acts go whoop, lays dumb for only so long, and eventually goes to the ref. All right, all right, you got it, you got it. So we had, we had dog action on on on, uh, on both sides. I gotta ask Zane what kind of dog he has too. I've seen him post pictures on Twitter, and from the looks of it, Zane's dog is like Benjamin, where it attacks with kisses. Would I be? Yeah, yeah, this okay. is very true. She's she's a good girl. She's a little barky, and uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like everything about that for that kind of what I'm talking about of like the high stakes. The champion is down. He comes back, and it's this miracle. Like, and then Chael being the heel. Like, the, all the narratives are perfect before, during, and after that fight. It comes together as just an unrepeatable title defense. Like, you know, and that's so, and I realize too, I have this as my number one and I'm probably going to tease your number one right now. And I realize I don't have Jones Gus on my list. Is that, is that, no, I was, I was really tempted to put it on there. I love that fight, obviously. And more than, no, 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 use it, use it. So, you know, I, like, I realized Jones Gustafson isn't even on my list and I had, I made a secondary list. My secondary list was Edgar Maynard 2, Fedor Krokop, Lawler McDonald, Silva Sonnen, Jones Gustafson. And that's the, that is the list of technically great, brutal fights. The thing for me is that all those fights, even Lawler McDonald, all feel very repeatable, except for Silva Sonnen, obviously, but all those fights feel very repeatable to me. Like, it's like uh, Shogun Hendo. Amazing fight the first time, amazing fight the second time. You know, like you, if you. No, no. I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean, like if you were to tell me uh, we're gonna try to recreate that in a hundred tries, I'd say bullshit on all those. <laughs> I'd say bullshit. You're not gonna recreate uh, uh, some of these moments. I mean. Well, I mean, maybe not singular moments, but the amount, the comp, the competitiveness of yeah, the fight. Like yeah. Jones Gustafson. That and you know maybe not the new and enhanced John Jones. <laughs> um, however, he's been enhancing himself, but like he's even more technical as a fighter. But maybe Gustafson has just lost a step, and Jones has gained one on him since then. But 
they are they feel like performance they they feel like a level of competitiveness against one another that that fight is always going to be that like it's always going to be a great back and forth war yeah you know it's like it's or like Eddie Alvarez versus uh, uh, Michael Chandler like they you know they fight a couple of times they're both these fantastic back and forth wars and Sonen and Silva they did it again it's nothing like the first time right like right that fight only happens once this yeah is no such an way. anomaly yeah you're right no such an anomaly and then I guess for the others yeah I mean aside from using the cliche lightning in a bottle uh, that's what I would use for those as far as yeah. you know the, 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 the certain matchups where they really capture it and no that that's great and I didn't realize it was your number one I didn't mean to st- oh, I didn't step on it but you closed it uh, off beautifully there um, and and obviously a worthy number number one uh, selection um, so th- yeah, what's yours then? All right, if, it, if it's none of those, <laughs> this one, this I one, gotta know. This one's more of a personal one. This is again early in Dan Tom's fandom. Um, I uh, my, my buddies uh, Bronson and Steve, who I referenced a bunch on this 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 year program, a bunch before, uh, signed up Extreme Couture when it was just a warehouse. They just opened in 2006. I didn't sign up until I believe April of 2007, but in August 27th of 2007. Um, Randy Couture was set for a title defense. He defied the odds. He came out of retirement and beat Tim Sylvia. And now all of a sudden, how is he rewarded for defying the odds, Zane? Well, they give him this gorilla because, again, you have to put yourself back at a certain time here. This is a guy that's still around and may have a certain character attached to him. But this was a mm-hmm. gorilla named Gabe Gonzaga to where if you didn't man watch Man Bear Pig. Yeah. Not, not a gorilla. A man Bear Pig. Man, man Bear Perfect. Man Bear Pig to where if you didn't see his loss in jungle fights to Fabricio Verdum at the time, you really didn't see the guy too vulnerable. Yep. And what you did see was burning in your head was – Crow Cop again. We 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 already covered Crow Cop. Yep. This you know, in his kind of career trajectory of of the killer, and we, we talk about it. These knockout guys capture the imagination of everybody. Well, Gonzaga came and knocked out the knockout guy with his knockout weapon of a head kick. And let me just put it to you this way for context, and not again, not to name drop. The only reason why I say the gym, not only does it kind of justify the homer of this pick, but around the yeah, gym. Yeah, I'm gonna say like you're, you're really, you know, are you getting a promotion out of this? Is somebody no. like you get like a, a shirt to wrap, a little sponsor pay coming out. Believe me, hell, I wish that was the case. Zane, you kidding? No, no, no. But the reason why the reason why I'm saying that is because around the gym there was this kind of aura. And again, I, I obviously wasn't you know talking to anybody in the training camp, professional fighters. I'm oh, hey there, Mister Miner. You know, I mean, there wasn't no. No, 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 obviously not like that. But I mean, again, I, I was just there to work out. But even amongst the people kind of there to work out in the gym, of course, we were all for Randy Couture, right, Zane? But there mm-hmm. was this almost like, I don't want to say we felt bad. We, we felt bad for Randy. But mm-hmm. there was this vibe of like, dude, okay, that was this is a great anomaly. We all love the Captain America story. But, dude, this is serious. Like, this guy's going to get fucked up. Like Gonzaga is gonna like he's a submission grappler. He's a he's he's like an accomplished Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Okay, like um, you, you see some impressive matches up uh, if you go look him up. Uh, if you go if you want to do some digging, and now he's developed into this knockout guy. And even on the walkout, okay, you go back and watch this fight on Fight Pass. Even on Gonzaga's walkout, because Gonzaga's walking out first. He's the challenger, and even Goldberg and Rogan are just like are, like, feeling bad. They're like, yeah, I don't know how Randy's going to win this fight. Like, they're supposed to, like, be giving everybody an equal chance. And really, technically, they're, they're supposed to be talking about Gonzaga. But they're using Gonzaga's entrance to talk about how Randy doesn't have a chance and how they're scratching his head at how he's going to win this fight. 
and we're sitting watching at home. All my, you know, all my buddies who who, who are from the gym, and we're just kind of sweating our balls off. Like, dude, we we're, we're, we're Team Randy, but we're also fucking wearing black. You know what I'm saying? Because we're ready for mm-hmm. a funeral at the same time. And Randy goes in there and just is competitive right off the bat. Some of the best boxing we've seen today, the way he's he's punching and then slipping his head off the angle and getting those relentless body lock entries to where it's still relevant today. Like, young fighters can still watch Randy Couture, and a lot of what he does is still very relevant. And oh, still, yeah. And it's still very necessary for today's Clint's game. Clint's control has not evolved that much in MMA. Yeah, 100% from, from the aforementioned underhook to even, like, just, just his, his lever and post-awareness and angles. I mean, uh, Khabib, obviously, is kind of the top watermark we like to point to for that. Yeah. But there are similarities in the flow um, to, to a, a Greco style that can be seen to some of the Sambo transitions. And you, 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 almost, you see the obviously not as, as sparkly. Not that Khabib's game is sparkly, wrong choice of words. But Couture's game is much more fundamental. And you just see him, you, you hear it referenced to, and, and Mike Goldberg kind of redundance this probably for the last eight years now, right? But you really see where it comes from because he, rem- he since the Vitor, his first fight with Vitor Belfort is what I equate this Gonzaga fight to. He reminds people how you can break down the biggest, baddest dudes in the world inside the clinch. And he hits that high crotch. He hits that high crotch single. And, of course, it, it crushes, you know, Gabe's nose. And it's great because Randy is a dirty motherfucker. Uh, you know, he's, he's a dirty motherfucker when he grapples. I mean, and you hear in the post fight, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew when it happened, it happened on the high crotch double. I heard his nose cracking, man. He was, he was going to be time from then. Because like, he was just so kind and comfortable the way he talked about breaking dudes. And he was so... Yeah, I mean... You know, it's it's always the it's always the way it is with fighters. Even like the really sweet ones that are really nice and all that. You don't get to be an elite talent in in the MMA game if you're just not a complete complete son of a bitch when the time calls for it. Yeah, man, and and Randy had that too. I mean, uh, he. Uh... He was, and, he, and again, it was it, it was just one of those things. And Jim, he wasn't like a mean guy by any stretch, but huh? uh, my, my grappling coach Neil Melanson, who he brought in Neil for the Noguera camp uh, after a couple of fights after this one, but he would tell me it was like he's like, oh dude, Randy's a savage man. Uh, he'll he will check your oil for people that don't know what that is. Yeah, um, it's essentially kind of putting you know grabbing an ass and and. Getting he'll a little stick bit a of extra in your butt. Yeah, to get leverage to get out of a situation. and But he'll use that to drive your head face first and make you eat the mat to be a dick. Um, yep. I mean, uh, Randy would even... <laughs> Neil's word's not mine. Randy would even be a dick, and if he had even physician, he, and he, had, uh, he had some gas to release, he would, he, would, he would call it chemical warfare. I mean, Randy would just fuck guys up in the room. Like, he was just a bully. Like, not to be a dick, yep. you know? Like, any, no one... It was never ill. You never heard a bad story. He was a great guy. Um, but but he was a motherfucker, and and that there is a reason why he trained like that because, you know, uh, aforementioned grappling coach. And again, this is just just so people can get a get a concept when you go back and get a different dynamic on Randy. This isn't so much to tell to tell my story here, but Neil would take us through, and I, I would see it. And he, would, he would take this from Randy to Alliance and other gyms that he went to, and go through the same uh, mental drills Couture did, which kind of said a lot about the guy. I mean, he's a, he's a no nonsense guy, Zane. But he would do this thing called he would go by the spirit animal, uh, and he would he would get himself yep. into a mindset, and his his animal that he would imagine there's this whole I won't I'll spare you know for the sake of brevity I'll, I'll spare please, everybody here please do yes please yeah. but but essentially his animal was kind of the mountain lion the cunning mountain lion so if you if you go back and you watch Bruce Buffer announce Randy's name that's about the time that Randy would say he would kind of go into this kind of reptile mode. And his eyes would go back in the head. And you see it. And you see that kind of casual, cunning grin as he has this kind of evil smirk and his shoulders are kind of loose. And you can kind of see it. And I know that's just a really random detail that 
most people probably don't care about. But man, it's just beautiful to go back and watch this guy work. Yeah, and I mean, all credit. Like you get if you when you have that level of emotional investment in a fight, it's it's hard to it's hard to ignore. It's hard to take a, to look at a list like to look at an idea like that and just say. I can divorce myself of this incredibly overwhelming moment where I was absolutely sure that the guy that I was rooting for with every ounce of my being was going to lose, and he didn't lose. Yeah, I mean, and, sorry, go ahead. I was saying, you know, part of that too is unfortunately, I feel bad for Gabriel Gonzaga because for the rest of his career, all anybody talked about was that fucking Mirko Krokop head kick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Like, it was like, oh, well, you should be amazing because you had kicked Mirko Krokop. And it's just like, you know, that's really not his entire game or, like, a way he found a lot of his success. Like, he didn't ever knock anybody else out with a high kick, ever. Yeah, his gas tank never improved, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, and, but, and another just kind of a side note on the, on the mental aspect, which is something that is still under, I think, you know, understated, taken for granted – and, and we don't see this level of it, but when you talk about mentally tough, it's a real easy blanket word to kind of throw out there. But like, just to give people, you know, a, a little more behind the curtain peel, like Randy would take words out of his vocabulary. Like even once, once I figure this out, if I ever had like a small interaction, I would kind of try to pay attention to it. Or if I watched the interview, you pay attention to it. And he doesn't say words. No, he doesn't say like certain like word like negative words. He won't even take out his vocabulary. He, he replaces it with challenge. So when you hear a lot of those post-fight, and again, this is stuff that we can all kind of go recall or go go, go pull up in those post, you know, pre-fight things, and he's like, "Oh, it's a great challenge," and da da da, and that unshakable confidence, and and it's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. You need it. You yep. need it. And and the most yep. baddest dudes. So when we talk about resumes, of course, John Jones and GSP should be at the top of your list. But when we talk about fighters and all-time fighters, reasons like that is why Randy Couture will always be, you know, amongst the guys at the top of my list. They just don't build them like that. It's true. No, and I mean, I did. I watched. Uh, I watched especially like his fights with Pedro Hizo, oh. and I watched the Gonzaga fight leading up to this and all that. Looking at those, seeing where, if they fit into my mold of what it was. He just didn't. I mean, he didn't finish Hizo one. If he had, that might have been on there. But uh, the other ones, he just didn't. He didn't suffer enough in against Gonzaga or Hizo the second time around for me to. Put them on here yeah. as all-time title defenses. Hey, didn't he get a breaking, broken arm, though, from one of his kicks or something? Oh, probably. <laughs> you wouldn't know it to watch him. But uh, I did have a few other honorary mentions I wanted to mention before we get to the fan list, just because I didn't bring them all up. First of all, uh, with my personal, you know, my list and what I was looking for, obvious big one, Lesnar Carwin. Nice. Yes, nice. Great. Brock Lesnar's fight with Shane Carwin. Gets just about knocked as knocked out as anybody can be without getting knocked out by Shane Carwin, and rallies back to win via arm triangle. The only reason that didn't end up on my list because it is really just amazing is just because how gassed out Shane Carwin was by the time that second round rolled around. You know, it was a tale of one really competitive or like two non-competitive rounds that had like no, there was no like back-and-forth momentum in the round. It was just yeah. Brock Lesnar traffic. shit-kicked <laughs> and Brock Lesnar taking Shane Carwin down and choking him out. Yeah. Um, Great pick. And then I did want to give a, a small shout-out because somebody mentioned it to uh, 
Oh, God. I, I just wrote the last names now, so I'm going to have to check this. Uh, but it would read on Cage Warriors 86, the recent title fight for Cage Warriors. Um, yeah, Nathaniel Wood versus Josh Reed, which is about two minutes of two dudes just nearly knocking each other out. And, <laughs> you know, you got to give a special shout out to that. Fuck yeah. But the last thing, uh, honestly, that almost made my list, and I was shocked at how much fun it was as a title fight to go back and watch, was Matt Hughes' title defense against BJ Penn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic, man. Where, like, BJ Penn just boxes the shit out of Matt Hughes in the first round, comes out in the second round, gets taken down, rallies back, slaps on a triangle arm bar late in the round that looks like it is absolutely as deep as it can get and then like it, it's basically lesnar carwin yeah but it's you know for three rounds instead of two because he comes out in round three and bj penn is he's so tired he's getting outboxed by matt hughes and ends up getting tko'd but it was an impressive impressive performance from hughes just because he took an absolute ass kicking in the first round of that fight Dude, I love it. That's on my honorable mentions. Uh, that's a personal favorite of Dana White's, I believe. And yeah, uh, and yeah man, that, that that also is one of my favorite walkouts because it has uh, the classic BJ Penn walkout, the yeah. ALA, but then it goes into the Nas Barkley crazy, which is very appropriate for BJ Penn's mentality mm-hmm. if anybody didn't follow his career. And uh, he continues on in the ring wearing the long sleeve shirt, just ready to scrap. And McCarthy, without yep. even blinking an eye, trusting BJ because they have a certain relationship, was like, Hey, you ready? All right, champ. <laughs> you know, and it was just a really cool kind of a snapshot in time as well. So I'm glad you put that on there. And I'm glad you went first because uh, I used that time uh, appropriately to pull up uh, our listeners. So, uh, Zane, I'm going to pitch what our listeners have, and you f- feel free to bat uh, your opinions at uh, what they have. Um, a little bit of a repetition here, but Drew Jitsu at Hip Hop 76 was real big on Bones and Guts uh, and, and, you know, and yep. Gustafson, obviously. Great fight, even though... He he thought Gusty won. Both men left a piece of themselves in the octagon. Uh, yeah, and it really doesn't matter who you thought won. That's just a it's just an amazing fight. Um, all it is an amazing fight. And like I said, there's there's a little bit of me that with like like I say with Lawler, and I, I feel really bad about leaving Robbie Lawler off of this list because yes, yes. he's <laughs> one of my all time favorite UFC champions. And so like this is all kind of sacrilege for me to have done this. And I really wanted to include Lawler McDonald. Yes, yeah. But I, but I was watching it, and McDonald may have won rounds in that fight, but it was all it was of like if you rewatch it, it is slowly trending towards the inevitable all the way through. Like it's never a point where L- Robbie Lawler just looks like he's hurt or out of it or looks like yeah. things are going really poorly for him. It's just a slow fall of momentum from like oh he might be kind of losing. To no, he's really definitely winning, and to he's now broken this man. Yeah, and then like I said, with you know Lawler, Condit, Gus Jones, Machida, Shogun, even Medgar, Edgar Maynard too, like or or GSP versus uh, Hendricks. It's so hard to, for me to be like this is an all-time great title defense because you don't really necessarily feel like the champ won it. Yeah, even yes, if he, even yeah, he did, like, there's, a, there's a lot of controversy there. Like, yeah. did Jones defend it? Did he successfully defend the belt? He got credit for it. It was an amazing fight. 
but it was an amazingly close fight that could have gone either way. Same with Hendricks, same with Condit, you know, all that down the line. So yeah, I, I get why Gustafson versus Jones would be on most people's lists. And it it is if I had if I had just gone, like I said, I put it together a list of the just the fights I thought were the most competitive, badass fight at as tight the, the champion retained. And Jones Gus is at the top of it. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'm glad I mentioned the Lawler, which I'm sure will be on these next entries here, because uh, he's one of my you know uh, favorite careers to follow. When you really go back and look how long it's spanned and who he's fought, and uh, so so I'm glad you gave him some love there. Uh, we just went from the Twitter, which is at the PYM Podcast. Thankfully, it's the handle for everything. So now we're on Instagram at the PYM Podcast, and the Loaded Joe's MMA Podcast uh, contributed. They also like Lawler versus Rory. They also like yeah. Frankie versus Maynard three. They're with you there. We just covered Jones versus Gus, but he's on that. He also takes the Hughes one that I almost wanted to put on there just for wanting to put Hughes on for the sake of having Hughes on there was Hughes versus Trigg too. I really like that fight. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's that classic, you know, Matt Hughes gets groin kicked, yes. comes, you know, <laughs> like hurt, looks like he's on the ropes, come back from it, then chokes Frank Trigg out. I think the the reason that I couldn't pick it is that I, I, you know, when I, my memory of watching it, and I didn't go back and watch it for this, but my memory of watching it is always that Matt Hughes isn't as badly hurt as it seems. And because it's a foul, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like he got low blowed and he didn't get any time and that sucked and he knew it sucked and it pissed him off and he did something amazing afterwards. And it, it created a momentum swing because of that, but it wasn't like, I didn't feel like, oh, Matt Hughes is. Dead to rights, done, and then rallied back. It's like, oh, Matt Hughes got hurt, and then you know reversed it. And I don't know. I kind of too, you know. I know Frank Trigg was actually a very good fighter, and he had his moments, and he sort of has that special place of being a very good fighter who just never quite won the biggest fights that would have made him a legendary fighter. Right. right. But it's also kind of like you know, it just didn't. I don't know. It didn't quite feel like as important as Dana White always wanted it to be because he loved the shit out of that fight and he would pump it up for years at any opportunity. Yeah, until uh, until Hughes Penn too. But I will say though, I did give Frank Trick some love as far as uh, I think it might have just came in the very top for my top five resumes, just because he's one of those few fighters who's fought all around. He's yep. commentated, commentated the same night he fought, uh, judge, ref, and just kind of a weird. He's yeah. a weird anomaly in his own kind of in his own league and. Probably will continue to break records if he keeps uh, officiating. But, uh, yeah, you finished up with uh, Brock versus uh, Brock versus uh, Shane. And just quickly jumping over to Facebook, uh, John John Rico uh, is GSP versus Koss. Jab 101, he says. Solid pick. Um, here's one. I've kind of, in case you don't know, Zane, I've kind of uh, banned BJ Penn from my lists. Uh, another reason why I didn't have him on there because I, I probably talk about him too much. So that's another reason. If I feel like if I talk about a fighter a lot, like I wanted to have Aldo versus Mendez 2 on there, but if I feel like I talk about a certain fight or fighter a lot, um, I may sway off of it. But BJ Penn versus Diego Sanchez, destruction at its finest by all-time great. And, and I like that one. Biased aside, um, and aside from Anderson Silva, there were very few moments in MMA, as dominant as GSP was, there were very few moments where you left the matchup going, dude, who's on this fucking guy's level? And there's yeah. that legendary quote where he goes, he's not on the same, baby Jay isn't on the same planet tonight, Joe. And Joe goes, he's not even on the same universe. 
you know, and uh, it's that <laughs> cool, but it, it sticks in your head. And there's that classic. I remember when I wrote my article, you know, uh, uh, BJ Penn's kind of recapping his career. One of the photos that I, I love is when he's leaving the cage in Memphis and waving. And uh, it, it's just one of those things because you really, we really never saw that guy again after that, after that, that moment. You know, he had a and, and Diego. Both you want to talk about fighters who's who's in, you know, uh, both were irreparably changed. Ironically, BJ's was changed within a win because he would go to that that weird night in UFC 112 where if you're doing a 30 for 30, I mean, there's just a lot of weird kind of stories that happened that night. It feels like, but uh, but yeah, man, that that, that that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm trying to look now because I, I actually, you know, I, I put out and I was talking about this for a, uh, the last day because I just had to, I'm, I'm trying to go back and find some of the other stuff that uh, people threw at me because there was a, there were definitely a bunch that, uh, well, actually one of the ones I also wanted to mention too, that uh, it didn't, I, I, somebody brought it up, but I also had thought about it a lot was Yen Jacek versus Gidella as a great title fight, like the great title fight of Ioana Janjic's reign, her great title defense. Yeah. Where she get, you know, she got hurt, she got dropped, she got battled, she battled back. She wanted decision. It was a great cool back and forth scrap for her in a way that I don't feel like a lot of other women as champion have really put together fights like that. Yeah, 100 100%. I will tell you though, you know what almost made my list was a women's fight and uh it was uh, it was very. I almost did it because I thought I figured Anderson Silva versus Sunday would be on your list, and I was like, I mean, do I want to try to tread the ground with an obvious one? So I went with the female version of that fight, which actually happened about six months before that fight, and that was Marlus Kunin versus Liz Carmouche. And granted, Kunin's my favorite female fighter. There's a little bit of a bias there, but that was another fight where you know she's supposed to fight Tate, yet this last minute replacement who's unimproven at the time, Liz Carmouche. Yeah. And Carmouche just starts taking it to her after the first round, just smashing her up on the bottom, and then she catches, you know, a Hail Mary submission late into the fourth. And uh, that that almost made my list. I, I always love that fight. One other big one i got to say that we, we missed, I don't want to miss it, uh, okay. is Aldo versus Mendez 2. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned that earlier. I didn't make my list because I, I think a Featherweight Wars, it's like I, I recently had it for that one, so I, I wanted to stay away, but... I love mm. that fight. I love it. It's my probably my favorite Jose Aldo fight, arguably up there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and you know, Jose Aldo, he's right there with. That's the thing is like Jose Aldo, GSP, Anderson Silva. They're there are these champions who like Anderson Silva. He's got his big, um, you know, his signature Chael Sonnen come from behind. Oh my God! Can you even believe what happened when? But especially Aldo and GSP, like, they're champions who were amazing and amazing for years. And then if you actually go target any specific fight, like, there are fights that were good. But it would you, like, there aren't any fights where I'm just like, oh, that is just, like, there are very few fights where I'm just like, oh, that is just legendary. And Aldo versus Mendez, too, was definitely as close as... Uh, as Aldo gets for that. Yes, and finishing John John Rico's list because it also is on the note of Aldo. He has Aldo versus Favor, WEC 48, established Aldo as the king of 145. Very important fight in, in the timeline of MMA, not just not just his. Um, and then he has uh, Mighty Mouse versus Horiguchi, dominance, dominance with a last second finish. finish. Yeah, I also like uh, Mighty Mouse versus uh, Dodson 1. Or uh, the, their first, his first title defense against John Dodson. That may not have been the first. I'm trying to remember now if that's the first time they fought or not. But that was the one where, like, 
you know, Dodson dropped him like two times and he dropped Dodson and it was just a back and forth war all the way down the stretch. And Demetrius Johnson barely scraped it out. I love that fight too, man. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm just going to quickly brush through the rest and knock them out here, especially if they're ones we've already talked about. Oklahoma Knowles. My man has Frankie versus Gray both times. Lawler versus Rory. Lawler versus Condit. Uh, DC versus Gus, which was a, a, a definitely a, a great title fight. It was the more the narrative surrounding it, what, what obviously puts that kind of off my list. And uh, he also has Aldo versus Frankie. I'm not sure which one, but I'll, I'll throw this to you, Zane. But the way I break down those two, the first one was awesome for the narrative. Maybe not yeah. – the, the, the fight itself was good, but it was more the narrative because it was a, a bigger buildup. I think you had to be around mm-hmm. the time to appreciate that. And then uh, the second one was more of a – Kind of uh, if you're into technical stuff or you just want to be a hipster. But it really, it's probably one of the top five defensive performances of all time if you want to break it down, his second fight. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, that's kind of like somebody, you know, out there, they threw out uh, GSP versus Koscheck, where it's just like... Yeah. Yeah, that, there's, some, there's something very particular to enjoy in watching that fight. If you're watching for a very particular thing... Or you want, you know, you have a very particular particular narrative that you have in mind. To me, it's like your pick of Couture versus uh, Gonzaga, frankly, right. where it's just like, yeah, I can see why that would mean a shitload to you, <laughs> and it's a very good fight. I'm not taking anything about it away from it, right. but it is a very like, I think th- things like that end up being more individual picks to me. Like, hundred percent, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they're not among the bad title defenses. It's not. Silva Maya, it's not GSP versus uh, Shields. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, I can't watch this fight again. But they are, they're good. They're good, and if you have specific attachments to those fights, then you are going to think they are very good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, someone could, maybe Dominance does it for them, so their list, that alone would make their list different from yours, because you you like the momentum swings, and and yeah, of course, I'm a sucker for David versus Goliath dynamics, pressure, and underdogs coming, kind of kind of building their way into a fight, so I'm definitely a sucker for certain dynamics more than others myself, but uh, quickly brushing through, Joanna versus Claudia, Claudia finished up Noel's list, Kate Trombley had Machida versus Shogun 1, we t- you touched on that earlier, GS- yep. GSP versus Condit, which was going to be my GSP one if I had one on there, I just uh-huh. always love that fight um yeah i mean it's definitely you know i think it's another one kind of like what i'm talking about just now where it's like if you have there there's a lot of specific emotional investment people have especially in a fight like gsp condit where you know gsp is a big fan favorite for a lot of people condit is a hardcore fan favorite just a beloved fighter among hardcore mma fans and so you're going to get a lot of investment in that, a lot of feeling. You know, there's that moment where Condit drops him with a head kick and just, like, changes the game dramatically. And you're just, you know, suddenly you're like, oh, my God, is he going to knock him? But, but GSP ends up winning a controlling, very good GSP decision. And yeah. he shows off why he's a great champion. And it's a great title fight. But it's it's a fight that is going to bring a lot more investment from certain fans i think yeah 100 percent. remind me of aldo versus mendez too in the sense of you have the dominant uh champion and you could just brush it off as a decision amongst their chain of many wins but those guys made them fight those guys yeah. made them fight for their money uh gsp koshbeck which we covered jones gustafson and Penn diego which we covered for kate trombley wanley translis actually actually is very similar to mine me and wanley are, are on the same track uh uh, Couture Gonzaga still got the TKO with a broken arm. Okay, maybe that broken arm thing was was uh, there was some truth there. Silva versus Sun and One. 
Uh, okay, obviously. Yep, yep. Condit versus Mira. I, I always talk about this fight all the time. It's my favorite Carlos Condit fight, so I left it off the list for that reason. But that was a great fight. I think Carlos Condit, like, grandma died, like, leading into that. There was an opponent change. Like, it was a mess for him leading into that fight. Mm-hmm. And he had to dig deep. The Mira took him to deep waters. Great judo throws if you're a fan of the judo throw era in MMA. Um, this was 2008. That was a while ago. That was great. Uh, Frank Shamrock yep. versus Tito Ortiz. And Vanderlei versus Rampage 2. Honorable mention, Fedor versus Orlovsky, if you're willing to count Wemma. <laughs> Oh Lord! Remember that? Yeah, Remember I mean, that? Hey, and we could. Yeah, I see no reason not to count not to count Wama, and it, then you can absolutely count Fedor versus Arlovsky, which is a great like. Is he about to get killed? Comes back with the miracle stoppage to you know. Uh, I, I'll I'll give that. Yeah, Fedor versus Arlovsky. I love that actually. I wish I'd given that more thought. Yeah, that was a cool one, especially when you're looking where you were at the time and where MMA was. It was, it really was a special time. You look at the, you think Donald Trump's in the audience there, and uh, a lot of yeah. notables if you look into the crowds of these shows, which is always fun looking into the crowds. But uh, last, last run here before we get out of here, Zane, Damian Henry from England. I can't leave him out. Uh, he has Silva versus Belfour. Uh, great. You could argue maybe one of Silva's last true performances. Yeah, I mean, if you. Like if you want to talk like Silva Belfort, Silva versus um, Okami, Silva versus you know some of the, like his his really one side Silva versus Hendo, yeah. you know you want to talk about like some of the, the the title fights where he just put it on people. Those are beautiful fights. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. And uh, the the rest of his are ones we covered, but I'll say I'm uh, Frankie versus Maynard three. He's with you on Diaz versus Daly. Given that love, uh, Jones, Gus, and Lawler Rory wraps up the honorable mentions for us and you. Thank you for those who participated again at the PYN podcast or Protect Your Neck podcast at gmail.com if you have something lengthy or want something addressed in show. This was fun, Zane. Thank you for joining me, man. We went over the mark, but thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. I'm glad you had me on. I'm always, you know, I'm always here to talk and talk MMA and get into weird little side stories and side angles of this sport. There's just, there's so much to it that you can get into and talk about beyond just who's fighting next week. So thank you you for having me on. No problem, man. And speaking of talking, you have your own awesome shows with awesome co-hosts, whether it's Connor or Eddie. Uh, Do you want to plug the shows and and whatever else you got going on for Bloody Elbow? You can can find me over on MMA Nation on YouTube, MMANation.com, D-O-T-C-O-M, spelled out, all that, uh, where I do the MMA Viva section, which is my pre-fight, uh, fight picking show for UFC events, and I also do we do some of those for uh, some of the bigger international cards, Bellator, KSW, Ryzen, stuff like that. Week in, week out, doing that. I'm on the sixth round post fight show after every UFC event. I host both those, and then this week when it's UFC off weeks, I do the MMA Depressed Us, which is just us going back and watching all of the worst most god-awful, terrible fights we can find, and uh, myself and Connor Rebush and Phil McKenzie talking about them all the way through, talking about often, I mean, it's, it's half, you know, half gentle mocking and light humor, nothing nothing that you couldn't show your dear old mother, but uh, a lot of it <laughs> ends up being just sort of philosophies of MMA and technique and things like that, and, you know, looking at, like, why it was... Holly Holmes' fight with Betch Kohei is so awful, and why does that mean that her fighting Cyborg was always going to go the way it did and things like that? So 
Uh, yeah, I do a lot of that week in, week out, uh, every now and then jump on something else random, but, uh, you can find me over at bloodyelbow.com and on Twitter at the Zane Simon. Awesome, man. Well, on that note, let's get the fuck out of here. Thanks again to you for coming. Thanks again for everybody for listening. Uh, I got an award show I'm trying to put together this week. I'm technically on vacation right now. It's my first vacation in, 20, in two years. Um, and, but uh, I'm still going to put out some content. I'll have this drop in sometime uh, midweek, maybe even tomorrow as we speak, Zane. And uh, again, I, the award, the polls are, are already open. Let me just read those off before we get out of here real quick. At the PYN Podcast, it's pinned. Uh, Scrap of the Year, Heartbreak of the Year, Shocker of the Year, Martial Artist of the Year, Technical Showcase of the Year, Story of the Year, and Feel Good Moment of 2017. Kept it to seven semi-unique categories. Since it's not big, not big, not big, not big, it can be easy to do open putting as creative as you'd like. All will be accounted for and addressed in the rewards in the award show, which is actually going to be a little bit of an international thing with the guests I'm putting together, and we'll probably have that to you by the end of the week. Until then, thanks, Zane. Thank you. And until next time, yeah, you know, protect your necks.